Welcome, welcome, welcome to, to Fusion. Man, I'm so glad to see all of you guys here this morning. My name is Brian. I'm the teaching pastor here. I get the, the privilege most weeks uh, to stand up here and, man, we'll, we'll open the Bible. We'll, we'll look at some stuff and, and see if we can figure out how those things uh, apply to our lives. Now, I've got some, some great, great, great news for you guys. Um, this is the, the last official uh, Sunday of, um, oh, actually of our years, because like Pastor Quentin said, we're not going to meet next Sunday uh, here. If you missed that announcement, please don't show up here next week. Um, but the good news is um, that's that the last time that you'll have to hear those people sing those songs in that way. Yeah, we can clap for that. Uh, if I ever have to hear Casey Hathcock sing Away in a Manger again, I think I'm never going to like that song anymore. Uh, I, I love you, man. Singing just ain't your gift. It just, just ain't your thing. Um, coincidentally, though, we, we are going to today spend some time uh, talking about uh, that carol, Away in a Manger. For the last couple of weeks, if you haven't been with us, what we've been doing uh, is every week we've taken a, a well-known Christmas carol that maybe you sang as a kid or even as an adult. If you've ever, if you've ever been Christmas caroling, you've probably sung a lot of the songs that we've looked at over the last couple of weeks. And so um, today we're going to look at the song, Away in a Manger. Now a little bit of information about the song. The, the words from the song first showed up in 1885 in a, the Lutheran Church Sunday School curriculum. First appearance of the words ever. Um, now where they got the words for Away in a Manger, we don't really know. There's actually there's a lot of debate and some mystery uh, around where the, uh, where the words came from. There's, there's some that believe that it was actually Martin Luther, the kind of the, the, the father of the Reformation, who actually wrote these words in something called Luther's Cradle Hymn. Uh, and so a lot of people like to give credit to Martin Luther for writing the words, but the reality is that the, the true or, origin of the song is unknown. It's a giant mystery, all right? What's not a mystery is the impact that this song has had on a lot of people forever and ever and, and ever. And so um, what I want us to do today is to spend some time uh, just talking about um, one, of, one of the lines in the song that kind of stick out to me as I think about uh, this Christmas carol. And I've sung it all my life. It was one of my favorites, especially when I was a little kid. Um, and so if you don't know the words, here, here's some of them. Uh, it's the, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. Everybody say, aww. Oh, yeah. Uh, see, and here's, here's kind of my, not, not, I don't really have an issue with the song. Issue's not the right word, but the, the, the right word escapes me at the moment. So we'll say issue just for the sake of moving on in, in my content. Uh, here's my issue with the little Lord Jesus who lays down his sweet head. You see, when, when I think about that, I, I start to get this, this picture of, the cute little baby Jesus. And, and when we do that, we, we, we tend to skip over the, the, the bigger picture and the more important significance of the little baby Jesus. Now, my wife and I have, and the reason this is a problem is because, my, because of a debate that my wife and I have had for, uh, it's, I guess it's been a couple of years now. And, and I recently was made aware that it's not just my wife but other, and I'm just going to say, women, if you're a dude and this is true for you, don't admit it. Uh, forewarning, like, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and say if you agree. But if I were, don't. I'll take your man card. 
I'm just telling you, right? So, so, so here's, here's, the, here's the condition or the, here's the, the, the frame of reference f- uh, for which I can, I can garner no support. Like I can't wrap my mind around how this works. But here's, 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 the, tr- here's the truth according to my wife. Anything that is tiny is cute, right? Are you tracking? So like the only qualifying characteristic for something to be cute is that it be small. And so I've, had, I've been having this debate with Aaron, my wife, for a couple of years now. I was recently hanging out with another friend of mine, and, and we saw, she saw something, and it was really small. She's like, oh, look, it's so small. It's cute. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This is a thing? Like, this is a thing. That, that, that items are cute simply in relation to their size. And she was like, oh, yeah. Like, all it has to be is, is little, and so what I did was, I, because I have no frame of reference for understanding this whatsoever, uh, I asked my friend, her name is Maria, and I asked my wife to find me some, some pictures of things that are cute just because they're small. So I want to share a few of them with you. So these are, these are tiny cookies. And all the women said, oh. All right, next. Um, Now, see, I can, I can almost get on board with little animals being cute. It's the inanimate things that, that I don't understand. All right, so next we've got, okay, so that's, I, I ain't gonna lie. Like, that's, that's, that's kind of cute. But, but again, animal, living thing. My daughters are cute. They're little, but they live. Like, they're, they're whatever. So it's the inanimate ones that get me. So what's next? Yeah, sock, I, I don't get it. It's just little. Okay, so maybe not. Okay. Maria sent me this. This is a little PlayStation, which she thought was cute. I do not. I do not understand how a PlayStation can be cute, regardless of size. All right, next. All right, those are little donuts. That's not cute. That's frustrating. If that's the, I ain't gonna lie. Like that is of no use to me whatsoever. All right. So next is, I think this is maybe the last one. Yeah. My wife said, Oh, look at the cute little scissors. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand how inanimate things that I would use to cut my hair are cute. But the fact that they fit on the end of somebody's finger apparently makes them cute. So here's my, here's my problem, right? Here's my issue. As we get back to the song, Away in the Manger, because it's the little Lord Jesus who lays down his sweet head. And all of a sudden, these thoughts and visions and whatever of, of the sweet little six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus <laughs> in the manger, and, and in that moment, I, I, I believe that we miss the, the power and the majesty and the, the lordness of Jesus. Because he's not just little baby Jesus. He's the little, say it with me, he's the little Lord Jesus, right? So if I could, if I could summarize everything that we're going to talk about today, if there's one thing that I want you and myself as a reminder to walk out of here with today, it's this, and you can write it down if you want. It's really simple, and, it, and here it is. Jesus is 
Lord. Jesus is Lord. I want us to say that together so that I know that we all know that it's true. Can we say this together? All right, ready? One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. That's right. He is the Lord. And that is why Christmas is so amazing and important. As a matter of fact, the reference of Jesus being Lord and his lordship and his, his being identified as the Lord, it shows up 740 times in the New Testament. 740 times. The infallible word of God refers to Jesus as Lord. The first time, the very first time that we see it is actually in, um, in, a, in a story or in a reading or in a passage that you're probably pretty familiar with if you've spent any time in church at Christmas time before. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, um, and, and we'll read it in a second, verses 10 and 11. But, but here's, here's kind of the context, all right? Uh, most of you know the story. If you've, again, spent any time in church at Christmas at all, you know the story. The shepherds are out in the field just doing what shepherds do, and watching after sheep, you know, or whatever else the shepherds do. I'm not really sure, but, but I, I know that they're in a field. And it says that the, that the angels of the Lord appeared to them out of nowhere. So that's kind of a freaky moment, right? You can kind of put yourself in their shoes for a minute. Like, I'm watching a sheep, I'm watching a sheep, I'm watching a sheep. Boom, there's an angel, and he's talking, right? That's kind of, I just try to kind of get the, the moment. All right, I want us to all get it and see it, all right? So there's this moment where the angels appear, and then this is what happens next, Luke 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the what? Christ the Lord. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean for Christ, for Jesus, to be Lord? What does that mean for your marriage? If Jesus is the Lord and he's the Lord of your life, then what does that mean? What does Jesus as Lord look like in your marriage? What does Jesus as Lord look like as you think about and process information about money? What does is, what is Jesus as Lord do to your thoughts about finances? What does Jesus as Lord look like when you're out Christmas shopping? What, what does Jesus as Lord look like when, when, when grandma's in the hospital? What does Jesus as Lord look like when you take your exams or study for finals or look at Christmas vacation, what, 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 does, what does Jesus as Lord mean? How do we define it? Well, let me, let me take a stab. Let me take a stab at defining it. The, the Greek word for Lord um, is actually the word kurios. Um, and here's, here's what Q or Q, kurios, here's what, here's what it means. It is supreme in authority. Controller, Ooh. Lord. Now, the word that is translated in our New Testament as Lord is this word, curious, which means supreme in authority, controller. 
Anybody have a problem with giving up control? I don't. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I don't. Maybe some of you struggle with it. For me, control is just a non-issue. Um, as long as everybody is doing what I want them to do in the manner in which I want them to do it at the time in which I wish they would do it, I don't have a problem with control at all. all right? <laughs> I have a big-time problem with control. I, I don't like to ride in the passenger seat of vehicles because nobody else drives right. Confession moment, like confessions of a pastor right here, all right? I don't like the way you drive. I don't care who you are. I don't like how you drive. Do you know what the only perfect speed to travel on the interstate is? The same speed that I'm traveling. If you're driving faster than me, you're a maniac. If you're driving slower than me, you're an old grandpa or grandma that needs to get out of my way, right? I, I got control issues. The remote control. At home, don't even think about it. You come to my house, it's my remote. It's mine. That's right. I need, that, that's a good call. I need a holster from the remote at the house, like just quick draw. No, nobody else works the remote right. Like when commercials come on, that is the time to surf, but you only got between a minute and 30 and two minutes and 30 seconds, and you got to get back to the program you're watching. So you got to be able to flip over, ADD moment, right? Find out what's going on in another show. And if I can watch six shows simultaneously, if I flip between each during the commercial breaks, I can tell you the plot of every one of them and how they end. That's the only proper way to work a remote. I, I, got, I got control issues. And so when just... I don't, know who, I don't know who let my mom in here, but we, we don't need amens that loud. Ushers, would you please see my mother out of the auditorium, please? All right. Maybe, maybe for you, man, Christmas Day is coming this Friday, and you've got this, you got this vision, right? Of Christmas is going to be perfect. You know what I mean? Kids are going to sleep till 9. They're going, to come down, they're going to come down the hall, and you've got the video camera set up, and their hair is going to be, like, perfectly in place, and, you know, pajamas are going to be, like, finely pressed, you know, whatever. They're going to come in and, and, and see all the gifts, and they're going to be excited, and everybody's going to love what you got them, and everything's going to fit, and, you know, nothing's going to be taken back, and nothing's not going to work, and everything's just going to be, it's going to be perfect. And you've got this plan and this list of how you want things to go, and you just can't wait for it to get here. But how many of you know it don't matter how well you plan for Christmas morning, sometimes things just don't go, I didn't want that color. This don't fit. And there's, there's just a tremendous amount of things that can go wrong on, on Christmas morning. And for those of us that love to be in control, that, that messes with us. But here's what it means for Jesus to be... Lord, it means that you don't get to be in control anymore. He does. That's what Jesus as Lord means. And so as we sing this song, the little Lord Jesus, let's not focus on the little and the cute, but let's soak in the vastness of his lordship. Because that is the significance of Christmas and why he came. And here's this phrase that we throw around a lot. We say that we make Jesus Lord, right? 
If, if, you, if you're talking to somebody and they're trying to you know, kind of help you in your relationship or your walk with Christ, they might tell you that you need to, you need to make him the Lord of your life. But I, I, I got a little bit of issue with that because here's the truth. You don't make Jesus Lord. He's already Lord. Tracking? He, God made him Lord. He is Lord. You don't get to make him Lord. The only option that you and I have is whether we do or do not surrender to who is already Lord. We don't make him Lord. He is Lord. We just get the opportunity to surrender to his lordship. And so what, what I want us to see as the, for the rest of our time together this morning, I want to lay out two, um, two ways, two manners, two postures of ways that, that you and I can surrender to the lordship of Jesus. And we're going to look at those uh, pretty in depth. So here's number one. So surrendering to the Lord, uh, the lordship of Christ, number one the way we can do it is through the partially surrendered Life. The partially surrendered life. He's Lord, but only partially. So there's a partially surrendered life. And Jesus said this in, um, in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. He said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Did anybody else not know that Jesus was that blunt? about it like i've read that verse probably a hundred times and this week i was like i don't think jesus could say it any more clearly why do you call me lord lord and not do what i say well why don't you do what i tell you if i'm really the lord and so what we see in, in, in a lot of christians is this this profession that i believe in the lord but I don't, I don't really trust him with everything. Like, I believe in him, and yeah, he's the Lord of my life, but I really don't want him messing with my relationships. He's the Lord of my life, but those are my kids, and I will raise them how I see fit according to my plan and what I think is best. He, he's the Lord of my life. He's my provider. He's the one that takes care of me. But I just don't know about that whole generosity thing i don't know like giving it's just kind of weird to me i don't know he's the lord of my life but i want to be in control he's the lord but i'm in control anybody else see the contrast there see the partially surrendered life is willing to give jesus some things but not everything i tell you guys all the time that I tell you guys all the time, right before I use a cliche that we find in Christianity, that I don't like using cliches that come from Christianity. So know that I don't particularly like using cliches from Christianity, but I'm getting ready to tell you a cliche from Christianity. You ready for this? It's it's my own hypocrisy. All right, here we go. If Jesus is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. It's pretty good, right? See, I, I only use the good ones, right? If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And this is what we see in, in this, this idea of the partially surrendered life. Hey, Jesus, I'll give you my Sundays. I'll show up on Sunday and I'll worship. i put both hands up. Like I'm straight up Jesus worship on Sunday morning. Hey, don't, don't be talking about Friday night. Friday night, none of your business. Jesus, stay out of Fridays. And while we're at it, stay out of Saturdays too. Right? I, like, let, I'm going to do me. I'm going to do me on Friday nights and Saturday nights. Jesus, I'll see you on Sunday. 
I'll trust you with my salvation because, hey, you know what? Hell doesn't sound like very much fun. I would very much like to go to heaven. But, but just don't ask me to change how I think or behave or how I interact with people. There's, this, there's a term that, that, that got coined um, back in the 1980s. Uh, Craig Rochelle made it pretty famous um, about 20 years after that. And here's the phrase or the term. It's called practical atheism. Practical atheism. It has a definition. Here it is. It's one who disbelieves or rejects the existence of God as a matter of practice, if not in theory. That's some pretty academic language. Let me break it down for us. The practical atheist is the one who says, I believe. It's the one who says, Jesus is Lord, but nothing in their life looks like it. What, what they say doesn't match what they do. So practically, they are living life as if no God exists. The practical atheist. Practical atheist would say, Jesus is my Lord, but, and I know that I'm forgiven, but, man, I'm not going to forgive that. Do you know what they did to me? I can't forgive them for that. I can't let that go. I can't move on past that. Forgiving people forgive people. I'm a Christian. I go to youth group. But what my parents don't know won't hurt them. So I'm still going to do all the things that I want to do, but I'll still play the part. I'll do the Christian stuff when Christian stuff is going on, but every other moment of every other day, I'll just do what I want to do. Let me read you a couple of verses. They're pretty, they're pretty popular. A lot of people, um, if, if you still have, for people who have like what's called um, in church world, a life verse. Right, these, these are the life verses for a lot of people. Um, but I want to read them to you from a slightly different version of Scripture. Um, so let's, let's read this together. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says this. It says, Trust in the Lord with some of your heart and lean on your own understanding. In some of your ways, acknowledge him and you can make your paths straight. And that is from the, uh, the PSV. That is the partially surrendered version. If you're hanging out in church for the very first time, that's not a real translation of the Bible, <laughs> all right? But this, is, this would be true for the person who is living under a partially surrendered life to the lordship of Jesus. That I, I'll give him some, I'll acknowledge him in some ways, but ultimately where I end up will be directed by what I say and what I do because I believe that I can pick the best path for me. I'll make my own paths straight. It's the partially surrendered Life. Here's the question that we have to ask ourselves if we find that, that we are part of the partially surrendered life. Here it is. You, you might want to write it down, or if, if you're following along on the YouVersion app, you can, you can see it there. Here's the question What have I not surrendered to the Lord? 
What have I not surrendered? Can I tell you what I get to see a lot of times in a lot of you and a lot of other people that I, that I interact with during the week? Do we know the answer to that question? We know. You know what it is. Oftentimes it's funny. People will meet with me and they'll tell me their story and I'll listen and we'll talk and we'll work through some stuff. And here's what I, here's what I feel like they're asking me for sometimes. Hey, preacher, look, man, can you just give me like a loophole? Like, I know this is wrong. They, don't, they won't say that. Right, but I, I have to decipher it, right? I have to decipher conversation in, in preacher talk, right? When you talk to the preacher, you talk differently than you do to your friends. I know it's wrong. I just don't really want to stop. Or I just don't really want to give. Or I know I, or here, here's the better one. I know I should be. But can you make me feel okay for not actually? Happens a lot. A lot. Often. Frequent. Because all of us like to be in control. Don't we? Sure we do. But a partially surrendered life is not what it means to make Jesus the Lord. Because what was it? Remember Curios? Supreme authority, controller, Lord. So let's take a look together at what the fully surrendered life to the Lordship of Christ looks like. If you're taking notes, we can write this down. Surrendering to the Lordship of Christ, the fully surrendered life. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 14, verses 7 and 8. He said, for we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. Don't live for you, don't die for you if you're a believer. If we live, which anybody, anybody here alive? All right, so like 50% of you, awesome, great. Um, the rest of you, I don't know how you ended up here today, but all right, so let, let's try that again. Anybody else in here living? All right, good, all right, we're back about 95%, that's good. So if... If you live, if you live, it is to honor the Lord. The reason for which you live. If you live, you do so for a purpose. And the purpose is to honor the Lord. I, don't, I can't even teach out of that. I just got to read it with more emphasis over and over and over again. All right. So, so let me do it one more time, right? If you live, it is to honor the Lord. The only, re- only reason you breathe. Did I, that, we cover that strongly enough? Can I like, we, we can move, right? Like, all right, good. And if we die, how many of y'all plan on dying one day? Okay. I, I read somewhere that the number one cause of death is life. 
Go figure. All right, so if we die, guess what it's for? It's to honor the Lord. So if you live or if you die, I plan on doing both. Both are for the purpose of honoring the Lord. So whether we live or die, Paul says, we belong to the Lord. Belong. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, you were bought with a price. He owns you. About 18, oh gosh, I'm going to get the years wrong because I didn't do the math before I got up here. Pressure of the moment. About 18 years ago, I'm going to guess. She'll correct me later, I, I feel certain. About 18 years ago, I gave Aaron a ring. It was shiny. She still wears it. I was uh, 20, so it wasn't 18 years ago, 16 years ago. 16 years ago, I gave Aaron a ring because I wasn't, yeah, I was 20. I gave Aaron a ring. The biggest possible ring that a 20-year-old Marine making what I was making way back then could afford. And then, like, matter of fact, I put it on credit. Like, I financed it. So it wasn't even what I could afford or save up to buy. It was more than I could afford. I bought her a really big ring. Not really big, really expensive ring. Because diamonds aren't cheap. And I gave it to her, and I asked her a question. Will you marry me? Now, let me ask you this. How much money did Aaron have invested in that ring? How much did Aaron have invested in that ring prior to her marrying me and then helping me pay off the financing? How much? <laughs> hey, just truth, all right? Just, just truth, truth, truth. How much did Aaron have invested in the ring the moment that I gave it to her? Zero. How much did she have invested in our relationship after she said yes? Everything. The ring was free for her. It's free. But the yes was a commitment to surrender everything. How much did your salvation cost you? How many crosses did you have to die on for your salvation? How much blood did you have to spill for your salvation? How much did your salvation cost you? Zero. But when you receive it, when you commit to it, we then surrender everything because we belong to him I gave her in a ring she said yes she belongs to me and you might you can get all angry about this whole male chauvinist that you don't you don't own yeah I do yeah I do I own a lot of stuff if you try to take it from me I get angry you try to take Aaron from me, I will start the Fusion City Church prison ministry because I'll kill you. <laughs> She's mine. You don't get to take her. She's mine. She belongs to me. And likewise for her. Right? I, I belong to her. She probably wouldn't kill nobody. But 
she'd be really angry and cry. Just <laughs> The moment you say yes to Christ, the moment you receive him as Savior, he also becomes Lord. The two aren't inseparable. They're connected. Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. And for him to be Lord means that we submit and surrender everything. So let's, re- let's read the real version of Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all, not some, but with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Now, I take a little bit of issue here with the, the, the word in our English translation, acknowledged. Um, I don't think that's the most accurate translation of that word in this context. The, the word here in, in the Hebrew is the word um, yada. Yada means to know. Not, it's translated acknowledge here, but the word is to know. It's the same word that is used for the intimate relationship between Adam and Eve. Adam Yada, he knew Eve, and then they conceived a son. So like very intimate, very personal, very connected. That's the word that's actually used here in the text. And, and here's why I think that's, that's a better. So in all your ways, know him, and he will make your paths straight. Listen, the reason that we often don't trust Jesus with parts of our life is because we don't know him in that area of our life. Because to know Jesus is to love Jesus and to trust him. When we really know him, we'll really trust him. And so in all your ways, yada, in all your ways, know Jesus and he will make your paths straight. It's all about the relationship. It's relational. It's the reason that God made us relational. Because he wants to know us and he wants to be known by us. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's the the most important thing? Jesus, if you could boil everything down to one thought, what would it be? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. In other words, love God with every part of you. Know him. Because that's how he knows you. There are some of you in this room and under the sound of my voice who are under an illusion. Because there was a day that you joined the church or you got wet or you checked the box or you say, God bless you when somebody sneezes and you believe That because of that, because of of some act, some time, at some place in your history, that you and God are good. But there are a lot of parts of your life that aren't surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. 
and the gift of eternal life, it might not cost you anything. But your only reasonable response to the gift of eternal life is uninhibited surrender. The submission of all, of everything. So at some point, you got to ask yourself a question. And you got to be honest with you about the answer. Do I really know him? Jesus ain't playing games. He was serious. About his lordship in your life. Do you really know him? The scariest chapter in the whole Bible to me is Matthew chapter 7. It comes at the end of the the longest recorded and the, the, the most, like, doctrinally rich sermon of Jesus' earthly life. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 20 through 23, Jesus says this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? In other words, in our context, that, hey, didn't I go to church sometimes? And didn't I, didn't I put some money in the box? Didn't I, didn't I tell people I was a Christian? Didn't I not just reject you when my friends asked me if I believed in God? Didn't I tell them, yeah? Didn't I? Didn't I do that stuff? Didn't I, didn't I put some money in the red bucket for the man ringing the bell outside of the Walmart? Like, didn't, didn't I? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers lawlessness see there's a big difference it's a big difference between calling Jesus Lord and surrendering all of your life to him it's just different here's what I want to do We're not going to stand and sing together today. But I'm going to ask you right where you sit, if you just bow your head and close your eyes. And this is is not so we can create some super spiritual churchy moment. But just so your neighbor can have some privacy to do some work with God this morning. Would you give them that by, by bowing your head and closing your eyes? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to answer these two questions. Is there a part of my life 
that I have not surrendered to him. You know it. Search your heart. Is there a part of my life that I haven't surrendered to him? And then answer this one. Do I really know him? Father, in the the stillness, the quietness of this moment, Spirit, would you move? Would you reveal and convict and change? God, it is the prayer of my heart, it is the mission of this church to connect as many people as we can reach to you. So God, would you use this moment to draw your children? For those of us, God, that have been pointing to a moment in our life and saying that's the day, that was the moment that it changed. That's the day that I surrendered. But God, for whatever reason, over the years or even over the months, We've pulled and tugged back at the control that we gave over to you that day. We're trying to do things in our own way and according to our own strength. And God, we're frustrated and tired because we have no ability to accomplish the things that you want us to accomplish in our own strength. So God, would you help us? Strengthen us. Give us the confidence to really live like you are our Lord. And God, for the one here today who knows that they don't know you, God, I pray that this would be a moment, their moment, where they would declare, Jesus, you are the Lord. And I submit and surrender to your supreme authority to your control, to your leadership, God, to your lordship. Father, I pray that you'd help them to to live that out, to walk that out. Living as if you are Lord, not just saying it. So God, help them. Father, I thank you for the time we've had together here this morning and for the opportunity the privilege that we have to call you God, to call your son, our Lord. Father, it is in his name that I pray. The name that is above every other name, the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.